0: From the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast, this is Ag Day.
1: Shaking the trees, we go in search of the perfect pecans. The Mississippi River saw record low water levels last year. Has the situation improved?
0: When river levels are lower, ice formation is, is, is more expeditious.
1: Plus, the EPA releases a new definition for the waters of the U.S., but not everyone is happy.
2: It's absolutely inconsistent
1: with the Clean Water Act. What it could mean for farmers and ranchers and why it may get changed again soon. Right now on Ag Day. Good morning, I'm Michelle Clinton is on vacation. We have a new definition of waters of the U.S., at least for now. The 514-page rule released by the EPA and the Army Corps of Engineers on Friday. The new rule is largely reviving a definition of WOTUS released during the Reagan era. It's been updated to accommodate limits the Supreme Court placed on federal jurisdiction during the 36 years that followed. The new rule would give federal protection to large waterways like interstate rivers and streams and wetlands that are adjacent to them. Wetlands could be considered adjacent if they are connected to those larger water waves with relatively permanent surface water connections or if they have significant hydrological-ecological nexus to those protected tributaries. Farm Journal Washington analyst Jim Wiesmeyer says the latest definition is an effort by the Biden administration to find a durable solution for protecting wetlands and streams an issue that has been hotly debated since the Clean Water Act's passage in 1972. but he says some people are predicting there will be a legal backlash for farmers, developers, and businesses that will argue the regulation is inconsistent with the Clean Water Act. Groups not happy with the plan include the National Cattlemen's Beef Association.
2: So while we did receive some really helpful agricultural exemptions for stock ponds, drainage ditches, and prior converted cropland, The rule does leap open the possibility to regulate or find federally jurisdictional, those isolated features or ephemeral features. It's a partial win. So while farmers and ranchers are going to get some really helpful agricultural exemptions, um, they're still going to be subject to additional regulatory uncertainty.
1: What's key to point out here is that the Supreme Court is currently reviewing EPA's jurisdiction under the Clean Water Act, so this is not the final WOTUS definition. It is in place until the EPA proposes a new one based on field hearings and a ruling from the High Court. This current rule takes effect 60 days after it is formally published in the Federal Register. One key waterway in the country is seeing some improvement after hitting record low levels last year. Water levels and navigation conditions on the lower Mississippi River from around St. Louis South have improved from October's historically low mark. However, officials with the Soy Transportation Coalition tell Ag Day barge traffic continues to be slow and efficient, especially after Winter Storm Elliott. Barge restrictions are still in place of a maximum of 20 barges per tow.
0: When river levels are lower, ice formation is, is, is more expeditious. And then we have a, a even a slower current due to low water conditions that makes um, ice formation more quick as well. And that's, that's obviously impacted you know, barge transportation, reducing the size of, of the, the, the number of tows, the number of barges that can comprise one particular tow.
1: Steenhoek says they're hopeful the recent precipitation and the warm weather will help return river shipments to normalcy. This time of year though much of the inland waterway system is closed for the winter and that includes areas north of Quincy Illinois on the Mississippi River but areas further south are seeing some improvement
0: and just as a comparison in late October the river gauge at Memphis was was almost at a negative 11 negative 10.81 and now it's at a at a positive uh, 0.72 so just slightly above the the zero river gauge
1: Steenook says the Illinois River is also seeing higher water levels than this fall. However, USDA reports that barge traffic on the inland waterways system is down 11 percent for 2022 compared to the previous year and is 6 percent lower than the three-year average. All that drought and dryness and the problems it brought created quite a display on the root zone moisture map last year. We put together a timeline of all of those maps. You can see that dryness really started to develop in areas along the Mississippi River in mid to late October, whereas other places didn't see much moisture all year long. Make sure to check out the timeline on Ag Day's Facebook page. And more moisture is on the way with winter returning this week. To welcome in the new year, meteorologist Andrew Whitmire joins us with a look ahead.
2: And as we have now crossed over into January, as well as the new year, many folks asking, okay, when is the bitter cold going to show back up again? It was around much of the country across the Christmas holiday weekend, but as we take a look at the polar vortex, we're going to see chunks of energy going towards Siberia, not towards North America. So as we look at the temperature map here for January, we're going to be looking at temperatures at or just above average here likely throughout at least the first half of the month. And unless we can get chunks of that to breaking off and heading towards uh, North America, uh, we're going to stay kind of on the milder side here of a winter's wrath here. Uh, But that does not mean that we are done with winter just yet. Again, we'll be watching for little breaks and pieces of that to come on into play here as we go through our out the next several weeks. And regardless of that, we're not done with the snow just yet. And we'll be watching several waves of uh, systems that will likely be developing here towards the second half of the month. And one already brewing here on this Tuesday. Again, we continue to watch this Colorado low that's going to cause a winter impacts to the north, as well as potentially a severe weather outbreak to parts of the south. And this photo coming in from McBain, Michigan. And Kevin showing this photo. This is in the part of the northern part of the state. A grain cart having a bit of an issue there as they continue to combine corn. Now, why so late? They say the corn didn't have enough GDUs to dry down. And they say it still isn't dry. Up more in your Ag Day forecast coming up.
1: President Biden capping off 2022 by signing the massive $1.7 trillion funding bill into law last week. For agriculture, the legislation features $3.7 billion in farm disaster aid, almost $2 billion for farm programs, and makes permanent the summer food stamp program. There's also funding for food aid for the Army Corps of Engineers to make emergency repairs and navigation improvements, and money for ag research. The bill also keeps the federal government operating through the end of the fiscal year in September. The bill also provides military assistance for Ukraine. It comes as Russian military forces continue to target Ukraine's electrical and power infrastructure. As a result, millions in the war-torn nation remain without power. One crop and dairy farmer there says the loss of power isn't just an issue for farmers in the country, but also for the businesses they rely on to supply inputs.
0: We have a few very big nitrogen fertilizer lands in Ukraine, and they can't work now because
1: they don't have the electricity, and gas obviously also comes from Russia. He says much of the damage to Ukrainian farms is along the front lines and around the Black Sea. Their farms have been bombed, dairy farmers have been bombed, and those guys are not farming anymore, of course. It's too dangerous there, or their fields are still mined. Ukraine lost like 20-25% of its arable surface to the war. Despite the war, Ukrainian farmers continue to produce grain that is being moved out of the country. The Black Sea Grain Initiative, reporting 1.2 million metric tons of grain, departed Ukraine ports during the week of Christmas. That was double the previous week's volume and included six corn cargoes bound for China. Almost 16 million tons of crops have shipped since the initiative was agreed to in late July. Grains ended 2022 with a strong finish and soybeans above the $15 mark. Will that rally continue into the new year? We'll have details coming up. And later, the secret to growing some awesome pecans. We head to Arkansas where trees decades old are still producing tasty results in the country.
0: Ag Day is brought to you by Germinator Closing Wheels. Germinator Closing Wheels provide quicker emergence and are more consistent in dry conditions than any other closing wheels. Order 12 to 16 rows today and qualify for free shipping or 20% off an end zone moisture management package.
1: Markets closed out the week, uh, mostly higher in the grains, except for corn, while we were mostly lower over in the livestock. John Payne is joining us. And, John, grains, a nice finish to the year, soybeans above the $15 mark. As we start a new year, what Keeps us going. Is it South American weather, or what are we going to focus on?
3: Yeah, I think it's the South American weather story, and that specifically will lean into soybeans here. You know, crush margins are record high for the end of the year. They would have had one of the best years of anyone. So when you run a breakout commodities as far as performance goes, really the soybean crush is what did the best of anything. Um, and so those folks who do crush beans, they need—they're going to need a higher price to not crush meaning to take their margins red in 2012 and did a little work on this this morning in 2012 we ran up this is from January or I'm sorry June 6th so it was June 6th of 2012 we were trading about 1250 on the bean contract by September 6th of 2012 we were trading 17 and a half 17 and a half took margins to zero it was like the only time on the CME charts that we've seen them at zero and now going into this year, we're almost kind of approaching that level, not quite 17, but 15 and crush margins are record. So to get to that level, to get these folks to slow down a little bit, I'm not calling for $20 soybeans, but that's kind of what it would take in the equivalence of the 2012 example.
1: Gotcha. So money flow by the funds and also the big WASDE report coming up in January be another couple of key things, right?
3: Yeah, January 12th. So put it in your calendar. Uh, you know, We get a quarterly grain stocks number every year. Uh, on three of them, they come at the end of the quarter. On the January or the December, and it moves it into January and shares it with the WASDE. So we can get a lot of moving parts within the grain stocks numbers that can come out from one agency within the USDA. And then on the other side, you get WASDE, a different agency right. within USDA, creates its own number. So we can get a lot of confusion here, mix in some South American surprises, and all of a sudden, you know, beans can get tight here, especially, you know, we kind of continue to lean on the China reopen story. But demand for soybeans is the key uh, to all of this, especially if supply is going to tight. Is going to tight. Demand is
1: there. Yeah, and demand is going to be key for all of these grains going in 2023. Thanks so much for joining us, uh, John Payne. And that is our markets. We have more update coming up.
0: To find John's newsletter, this week in grain and oil seeds, head over to www.thisweekingrain.com.
2: Looking at temperatures as we go throughout this first full week here of January, well, it's going to be kind of a mild one here and not really winterish looking here, especially across kind of the eastern half here of the country. We're going to be looking at several days where the temperatures are going to be at or above average. In fact, we could be looking at some record-breaking temperatures across the Midwest and Great Lakes states here earlier on this week. Uh, Let's walk you through the precipitation here for this new year, at least for this first full week here of January. And we're going to be watching kind of a Colorado low developing, and that's going to bring with it uh, waves of uh, ongoing showers here earlier on this week across the the, uh, eastern half here of the country. Meanwhile, the western half continues to kind of be under the influence of an atmospheric river as the jet stream is going to hang out uh, right over over parts of the Pacific Northwest and that's going to bring with it uh, several chances for rain for the west coast. Looking at the root zone map here again we continue to highlight this red shaded area down across the eastern uh, yeah, Colorado as well as kind of uh, western Kansas there. Uh, we're going to be needing precipitation from this area and it does look like with that the strengthening Colorado low that we will see waves of precipitation at least earlier on this week coming into play. Meanwhile out west we see these reds here they're going to be slightly disappearing in spots as we're going to be again dealing with waves of precipitation here as we go throughout to this upcoming week. Let's take a look at this system here. Again, this is this Colorado low here that continues to develop here earlier on this week. A wintry side to the system to the north, stormy off towards the south. And as we head on into Wednesday, we are paused at January 4th. Again, we're going to be watching this system still around the eastern half of the country, and it will finally begin to exit here as we head on into friday. That's a look around the country. Now let's take a look a little bit closer to home. New Concord, Iowa. Rain showers at times. High 62 degrees, low 45. And as we go on over to Duluth, Minnesota, rain and pockets of heavy snow. High 34 degrees. Going over to Grandview, Idaho. Mostly cloudy, isolated snow shower.
1: Dairy industry leaders say milk prices in 2022 set a new record for the year. Last month, Dairy Management Inc. and the National Milk Producers Federation projected prices overall to end up being at least $25.50 per hundredweight. That's well above the 2014 record of $24 per hundredweight. They report commercial use of milk here at home and all dairy products continued to strengthen from August to October, providing some support for prices even as production increased. Meanwhile, total U.S. dairy exports exceeded the equivalent of 18 percent of U.S. milk solids each month since February last year. They also report the dairy margin coverage payment trigger level may dip back below 950 per hundredweight and likely will remain below that level well into this year. The American Farm Bureau Federation is laying out a series of recommendations for dairy policy reform. It put together a Farm Bureau Dairy Working Group to come up with a plan. The group consisting of farmers from each of the four Farm Bureau regions. The goal, exploring options for strengthening the dairy industry this year through the Farm Bill and modernizing the current federal milk marketing order system which was last reformed in 2000. Priorities for order reform include a return to class one mover to a higher of formula along with increasing class one differentials. The group also calling for simplifying milk checks. As for other priorities, they want to see an increase in catastrophic margin levels within the dairy margin coverage program and a change to dietary guidelines to include whole milk and full fat dairy products. Still ahead, we're shaking some trees. We head to Arkansas for the pecan harvest in the country.
0: In the Country on Ag Day is brought to you by Pivot Bio. What if you had the nitrogen you need already on seed? Pivot Bio is the first company to apply nitrogen on seed. The nitrogen you need, now on seed, from Pivot Bio. Learn more at pivotbio.com.
1: It's a popular ingredient in holiday baking, pecans. But what does it take to grow them? Arkansas Farm Bureau takes us to a pecan orchard outside of Little Rock where decades-old trees produce up to 500,000 pounds of pecans.
4: 375 acres, 10 trees per acre, 3,700 or so trees. Now, over the years, we've had a lot of attrition, you know, you can see there are gaps in the orchard, We've lost trees and stuff. Typically, we don't replant those. A lot of our orchards are already verging on overcrowded. I mean, you know, there's part of me that would like to thin them out probably so they get more sunlight. And we probably, in a good year, maybe produce like, meh, 400,000 pounds of pecans, I think, you know, maybe, maybe, I don't know, about five, maybe. My wife's grandfather in the 60s decided, I guess he wanted to plant some pecan trees. We took some cotton ground out of production and planted, you know, several hundred acres of pecan trees. So all these trees were planted, you know, every year. We start off, we put out fertilizer. I've got a guy that mows all year round. We pick up branches all summer long. Then, you know, this time of year, we go into the orchards and, you know, we try and have everything mowed down and kind of cleaned up before we start picking up pecans. Then we, you know, shake the trees with a shaker, and you know, we come up around with a harvester and pick them up. It works with like little fingers, you know. You don't in the old days, I guess they would pay people like per pound to pick up pecans. So before we even had harvesters, like I think in the 60s, probably early 70s, but now it's all mechanized as far as you know the harvesting goes. And then we clean them and some of them we crack and some of them we send off wholesale. There's a lot of handwork involved in it. I've got a guy that we pay that all he does is drive around with a little dump trailer and a tractor and pick up branches all summer long. So that's a big thing. Disease pressure is a big problem, I would say. I mean, stink bugs. I mean, it's like, you know, uh, they're, they're terrible. So we spray starting in August, you know, every couple of weeks we spray for stink bugs as they move off of other crops like corn and beans and stuff like that. So they leave little black spots all over the pecans. And so in extreme cases, I mean, you'll have like little black stink bug spots that are kind of bitter tasting all over the pecan. Pecan trees are, I guess, notorious for being alternate bearing, uh, you know, so, and by that mean, you know, they'll have like a, or an on year and then an off year. This summer was really dry, so we had a lot of nut drop over the summer. You know, we have black aphid problems and pecan scorch, yeah, scorch leaf mite problems, so those cause early defoliation of the trees in the fall and can, you know, basically are stressing the trees. It would be a challenge to like go and buy farmland and put a pecan orchard on it and make a go of it, like on a large scale, just, you know, cause you've got a lot of time until it's in production. So I mean, maybe six, seven years or something like that. But that's if you're, you know, planting pretty good sized grafted trees. So I've done different stuff. I've got an undergraduate in chemistry, you know, so I've, I've done lots of work in labs and stuff like that. And, you know, I like being outside. I kind of like working on <laughs> machinery and uh, building machinery and uh, you know, uh, I like pecan trees, <laughs> you know, so if you want them to be, I guess, consistently good, I mean, a lot of work goes into them. It's kind of a nice thing like actually like producing something or, or make, you, know, you know, making something, I mean, that, you know, I mean, you know, growing something that people, yeah, can use and eat and, I mean, that, that's, that's awesome.
1: And we thank the Arkansas Farm Bureau for that great story. Well, that's all the time we have for this morning for all of us here at the Ag Day team. Have yourself a great day.